This episode of the Way Home Podcast is brought to you by MLK50, April 3rd and 4th in Memphis, Tennessee. Visit MLK50Conference.com. The last few years, there's been few public figures who've been more thoughtful on contentious cultural issues than Benjamin Watson. Watson is a tight end for the Baltimore Ravens and uh, a finalist for the NFL's Walter Payton Man of the Year Award. Well, recently at our Evangelicals for Life conference in Washington, D.C., I had a chance to sit down with Benjamin Watson and talk about his very public faith, his calling as an NFL football player, and we talk quite a bit about why Watson is so outspoken on the pro-life issue, why he's also been very outspoken on issues of justice, particularly racial justice, and why he is calling the church to take an active role in some of these important issues. Let's join our conversation now with Benjamin Watson. Thanks for joining me today. Thanks for having me. There's a lot of things I'd love to love to talk about. So first, I just want to, I think people know, besides the fact that you play for the Ravens and that you are pretty outspoken about your faith in Christ. And so maybe share just a little bit of your faith journey and, and kind of, number one, how you become a Christian. And maybe number two, how you think through kind of using the platform God has given you to, to talk about talk about your Christian faith. Definitely, definitely. Um, I, uh, I became a Christian at a pretty young age, about six or so. That's when I first came to knowledge of, of Jesus Christ. I, I grew up in what people would say would be a Christian home. Mm-hmm. And um, my father and mother <clears throat> taught all six of us, definitely right from wrong. They, they, they brought us to church. My father is a pastor now in South Carolina. And so I grew up understanding um, the Bible and, and hearing Bible verses and going to vacation Bible school and, and doing all those things. Um, but it was made very clear to us early on that we had to make a decision for ourselves at some point and that our salvation was, was personal and it was about us um, putting our faith in Jesus Christ and not kind of riding the coattails of mommy and daddy, although that was a tremendous blessing to me. Mm-hmm. And so it really was my father who led me to the Lord. Um, we would, uh, at, at night, before we would go to bed, he had this big teddy bear. He'd be like, Benjamin, you want to fight the teddy bear? I'd be like, yeah, yeah, dad, I'll fight the teddy bear. <laughs> And so he would get behind this teddy bear and box me before I used to go to bed and we would wrestle. And I remember it very vividly. And I remember one night losing to the teddy bear and being so upset and saying, Daddy, you bring the teddy bear back out here. I'm not going to bed till I beat him. And he brought the teddy bear back out there and, and let me win. And I remember him saying that night, Benjamin, do you know what will happen to you if, if you die tonight? And, and being a young kid, I always would ask a lot about death. For some reason, it's always been something that fascinated me. Um, and so along those lines, my father, I think, in his wisdom, knowing that, asked me that question. And I said, Daddy, no. And he shared me John 3, 16, for God so loved mm-hmm. the world that he gave his own begotten son, that whosoever believes in him will not perish with everlasting life. And right there at about six years old in Virginia Beach, Virginia, um, my dad and I knelt down, and I received Jesus, my Lord and Savior. Mm-hmm. So my faith journey, so to speak, uh, started very early in life. Um, and, and, and it's been um, a, a, a growth, obviously, <clears throat> to where I am now. Mm-hmm. Um, married to my wife for 12 years, having five kids. That's uh, great. Definitely in a more mature state uh, spiritually than I was in college and then. But it's been a, a, a growth. And, and one thing I've always um, wanted to do, I always wanted to be a football player um, as a kid. 
and I always wanted to be a missionary. So my mom's mm-hmm. missionary so I always say. And being able to play football, the National Football League, and in college, having what people will call a platform, I've always wanted to be responsible with that. Mm-hmm. And being a Christian is something that you don't carry next to you like a suitcase. Mm-hmm. It's something that is is inside of you, it's transforming, mm-hmm. and it emanates from you. Mm-hmm. And, and, and I've always felt that whatever opportunities God gave mm-hmm. me um, to tell people about Him, whether it be because I play football or, or, or whatever arena it is, I wanted to honor that. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, so using the, the platform, some of it's strategic, obviously, but most of it is just, is just being who you are. We all have a sphere of influence. We all have mm-hmm. a certain amount of people that we can um, influence for the gospel. And so uh, for me, my occupation has been playing football. For others, it's something else. Mm-hmm. But we ought to be responsible with whatever platform that gives us. Speaking of that platform, you have been pretty out. I think, you know, it's, it's no secret you've been very outspoken on a number of issues, particularly like you're here, you know, uh, in D.C. to talk about the, the sanctity of life issue. And you've spoken at the March for Life in the past. You know, to be pro-life and to be a celebrity, you know, th- there's a lot of pressure not to be pro-life or just be quiet about that issue. What has motivated you to be so passionate about the, the dignity uh, of the unborn? Well, because I'm passionate about the dignity of people um, on the whole continuum mm-hmm. of life. Mm-hmm. Uh, for me, being pro-life is, is an obvious stance because I am... Uh, pro-life for the for the unborn and the pre-born mm-hmm. as much as I am for the elderly and as much as I am for people in between. Mm-hmm. But, you know, I think there's a holistic approach that we have to have when it comes to, to life. And for many, um, especially at this time, uh, being pro-life uh, and being pro-choice, you have to, to pick one. It's like you have to be divided into one of these two camps. It's the camp that, that loves the unborn, but quote-unquote, hates the people that are alive. And then, mm-hmm. it's, then it's the camp that loves the people that are alive, yeah. but could care mm-hmm. less about the, the, the kids that aren't born yet. And mm-hmm. I don't think that's true. Mm-hmm. I think it's believers. We are continually called um, to, number one, acknowledge the image of God on every human being, no matter what state of development they're in. Mm-hmm. And also to advocate for them and to love them with the express purpose of bringing souls to Christ. Mm-hmm. So for me, um, you know, speaking out for the unborn, is speaking out for a child that has been knit together in his mother's womb. But I also care very much about the mother and what her crisis is. And mm-hmm. I care even as much as well about the father mm-hmm. of the child. And, and, and I'm somebody that truly believes that um, the family and keeping the family together and promoting the family is, is the, the order and the structure and the building block God has given society for it to operate at its best. Mm-hmm. And so standing up for the unborn um, using my voice, if anybody wants to listen to it, <laughs> I consider it an honor and a privilege to speak. Well, a lot of people do do like to listen to your voice, and I think uh, God has given you this great platform. One of the ways that you've been able to kind of transcend some of the partisan, you know, tribes that people sort themselves into is that you've been pretty, uh, I think, eloquent and outspoken speaking to the range of human dignity issues. So speaking about the, the life issue, but also speaking about racial justice, speaking about, uh, you know, immigrants and refugees. And so uh, it seems sometimes like you have these two tribes, right? You have, you know, very heroic pro-life people working in the trenches over here, and then very so- people oriented towards social justice, very heroic working over here, and, and um, tensions between the two groups when really they're sort of appealing to the same same Bible, the same same gospel. Uh, how, how, do, how do you kind of 
kind of get both of those groups to work together and speak to all those issues. Um, there's a verse in Jeremiah chapter 9, um, uh, 23rd, 23rd verse, and it talks about um, humility. It talks about let not the, the wise man boast of his wisdom, mm -hmm. the strong man boast of his strength, or the rich man boast of his riches. Let him who boasts boast in this, that mm -hmm. he understands that knows me, that I am the Lord who exercises mm -hmm. love and kindness, justice, and righteousness on the earth, for I delight in these things. So, for both, both of those sides, we want to delight in what God delights in, in justice, which is the idea of things being equal, of correcting right and wrong, of righteousness, which is living that out. Mm -hmm. How do we live that out in our culture? How do we take the idea of justice and apply it to the oppressed, to the marginalized, to those who need it? Mm -hmm. And that's, you're right, that's what both sides are doing. And conflict sells. <laughs> it does. People want to see conflict on, mm -hmm. on, on, mm -hmm. on media, on the news. People like to talk about conflict. But you're right, when we look at it, we have two sides, but they're not even really different sides. Um, that are doing the same thing for different people. Mm -hmm. And so the important thing, I think, is to is to say, look, why are we doing this? Why are you helping people? Why are you advocating for people? It's because that's what God delights in. And so when we can draw that similarity there, I think that's how you draw people together. Mm -hmm. um, when you can draw people and say, look, God delights in justice. He delights in kindness. He delights in righteousness. That's why I'm doing it, not because... I think it's a good idea, not because, you know, I want to help somebody. No, I'm doing it because that's what God delights in. And as a follower mm -hmm. of him, I want to honor him by what I'm doing. Mm -hmm. As a football player and a celebrity, I'm sure you get a lot of pushback from either side whenever you speak out on an issue. Yeah. You know, there's this kind of sentiment, which I don't agree with, but people will say, if, they're, if they disagree with you on an issue, it's funny, if they disagree with you, they'll say, we just want you to play football. We don't want you to speak out. <laughs> yeah. You know, so, and you see people on the right and left both saying that, you know, when you yeah. speak against their issue, how have you handled that, yeah. that tension? You know, uh, do you get pushback? Do you get pressure not to say anything? Yeah. How, how do you handle that? I my, my wife, hey, hey, I'd be like, babe, just stop looking at don't look at, yeah. don't don't look at your mentions. It's like, don't look at my mentions or anything yeah. like that. You know? yeah. <laughs> it doesn't really bother me. Uh, sometimes it's comical, honestly, um, because like you said, if you say one thing that people agree with, they're all for it. On the other side, it's, you know, stick to, stick to playing football, stick, <laughs> stick to entertaining. That, that comment right there hits a, hits a nerve, though, because of, much of the racial connotation yes. of, of that. Mm -hmm. um, but outside of that, you know, it, it's funny because we can we can have a a lot of tools in our tool belt when it comes to the, the ideas that we have and in different buckets that we want to put our, our advocacy in. Mm -hmm. And a lot of times we feel like we have to only be relegated to one thing. Mm -hmm. and, the, and the thing that I try to do it's like, like we mentioned before, when you're when you're pro-life, when you're for life, that comes in a lot of different flavors. And we don't have to simply be on one side. And, and mm -hmm. I talk about this. We can talk about racial injustice yeah. and oppression yeah. while still talking about the refugees in Syria. Mm -hmm. While still talking about education or criminal justice. Reform, yes. While still talking about the unborn. You know, while still talking about homelessness and poverty. You know? And the list goes on and on mm -hmm. and on. And so I always want to say, look, I'm for all those things. Um, and the reason why is not because 
of me, but because I feel like these are issues that God cares about and as a believer, my job is to, as Jesus did, will go and meet people's needs, but it was because he wanted to give them spiritual life. Mm-hmm. And so as, as a body of Christ, we want to give spiritual life more, most importantly, and sometimes we do that by meeting physical. Mm-hmm. I want to talk just for a second about racial justice because, you know, in the last few years, uh, I, I don't want to say there's been more racial tensions. I, I kind of believe they've, they were always there, but maybe they're brought out into the open, let's just yeah, say, right? Yeah, um, and so even just the, the term evangelical, uh, you know, there's been a lot of criticism of white evangelicals. Yeah. You know, much of it is really um, warranted, I would say, just a kind of a kind of a blindness, willful blindness to some of the struggles and the, the burdens of uh, our African-American brothers and sisters. And so... Um, You've spoken really well about that and kind of trying to bridge some of these groups. So may, may, maybe speak into how, how you're thinking about it and how you're you're talking about these issues. Uh, I think a, probably a, a lightning rod moment was uh, the election of President Trump. Mm-hmm. And we can go back further than that, but for the sake of, of time and the conversation, we'll, we'll just talk about those few months. And I didn't even realize how tough and hard it was for many um, black Christians um, to deal with his election and also, as you mentioned, to deal with the white evangelical support of him mm-hmm. um, because of some of the things that he said and mm-hmm. how it has come across. Mm-hmm. I also um, saw how how many white evangelicals, people who would say they're evangelicals, support him, which is fine politically, but will refuse to speak out and condemn him for certain things that he says. And so, again, I think it points to some of the tribal mentality that we're forced mm-hmm. to have. It's like, if you support a candidate, you have to give wholesale support to him. You cannot right. call them out on anything, right. even if it's blatantly wrong. Yeah, I can't say anything <clears throat> about it. And then on the other side, you're looking at that, as many minorities did, and say, how can you guys mm-hmm. say that you care about us and that you are believers mm. when you won't call people out when they say things that are blatantly disrespectful mm. and crude and vile. And that has drawn, drawn a wedge in, 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 Christian, in Christians in America. Mm-hmm. And, it's, and it's really unfortunate. But, you know, I, I, have, I have plenty of friends who I have these conversations with, and I think that that's kind of where it starts sometimes, is, mm-hmm. is um, as churches, as believers of different ethnicities, of having these conversations with each other and being honest so that we can bridge that gap. But it's 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 definitely and it, and if you go past further past that, you know, you mentioned some of the other things that have happened. And 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 racism, I think you're right. Race is not something that has was ever gone away. But I think because of some of these videos or things we've seen or or even just the culture where we are where we don't have full we don't unpack ideas. We simply yell and scream at each other over, over social media sometimes. I think there's an increasing volatility there. And, and because of that, we're, we're being forced into our own corner. So, mm-hmm. uh, again, my goal is to always be honest with the feelings that we have um, and really try to draw people out so that they can they can uh, understand each other in, in a better way, in a way that's constructive, but not a way that's condemned to one another. I'm interested in how... As a professional football player, uh, someone who's in the public eye, how you manage and think through all that? Like, how do you manage, I don't say platform, a public platform, mm-hmm. 
and and you know what's it like to to uh, live as a Christian and a professional football player and kind of kind of all that. What what are some things that uh, that are important to you that that help help you navigate that? Uh, I, I had a teammate one time um, who told me this is before we had kids and like that, as I mentioned, we have we have five children now and and he said to me, you know, when you pull into the the driveway or the garage or your parking space from work, you need to leave work at work. Mm. And I, I'm somebody who carries my successes and failures with me. Mm. My mood sometimes changes depending on how well I play or how well mm. I practice. Early in my career, I was a pain to be around. It didn't go well. <laughs> yeah. I, was, I was a jerk. Um, you know, and, and, and because of my perfectionism, which I've always struggled with, um, I felt like my work was tied to that. Mm-hmm. And, and so if things were going well, it'd be miserable to be around me. Mm-hmm. And I would say over well, the last, the second half of my career, um, God has really allowed me to really, really experience his grace and give myself grace for my failures. And the most important thing in any occupation that you're in, you know, mine just happens to be athletics, whatever occupation you're in, when you come home, you are a husband and a father. Mm-hmm. That's what you are um, at your core. And that's what your family needs you to be. So being able to separate those, um, understanding that what I, I, I play football, that's what I do, but that's not the totality of who I am has been has been very important. Mm-hmm. I think also uh, being in a locker room, you you are with guys. The great thing about being in a locker room is you are with a group of men that come from a bunch of different backgrounds, a bunch of different belief systems. Um, and the great thing about that is that we're able to challenge each other while still knowing each other and knowing that we can still work together for a common good, even when we have these tough conversations about race or politics. And so that, that's one thing that, that I love about being an athlete, about being a football player, is that you know we can have these conversations and push back on each other and still love each other because we know each other. Mm-hmm. And I think if you take that outside of the locker room, that's that's a lot of what we're missing when it comes to some mm-hmm. of these these topics. Is that we don't really know a lot of people outside of what we believe. Outside our tribe and our exactly. yeah outside. people that look like us. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. we have to force ourselves to do that. Mm-hmm. Whereas when football is forced on you because they you can play and you're gonna mix you, and mingle with each other. You're 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 sort of forced to do that. Yeah, exactly. and exactly. it's somewhat sad in a way that you know the church should be leading. And bringing people together like that more than the NFL or other other uh, entities, you know. Exactly right. It has to be intentional. When, we, when you look at John seventeen, you look at mm. the Lord's prayer when Jesus is mm-hmm. praying to the Father, and he talks about the unity of believers, and he says that the unity is so that so that the world will know that God is true and that mm-hmm. Jesus is the Son mm-hmm. of God, so that the world may know. Like our unity is not simply for us to just understand each other, mm-hmm. which which has its benefits. But really, there's an end game there. Mm-hmm. The end game is so that people will see us and how we operate with each other, with our differences, mm-hmm. and say, wow, you know, those people come from different backgrounds. Yeah, why are they even here together? How does that work? Why are they there together? Yeah. Oh, the, that must be the glue. And that mm-hmm. glue is what's making them break down their barriers and have empathy mm-hmm. for an experience that's not theirs. Mm-hmm. And, that's, and that's what we're not seeing in the world, and that's also what, what we're not seeing a large part in the church. Uh, I'm curious, you know, as you're thinking about your life and your career, what do you see for the next season, you know, after your playing career is over? 
whenever that is, uh, what do you see for the next season of your life? Do you see yourself going into coaching or broadcasting, or do you see yourself going into ministry or kind of, you know, some uh, pastoral ministry or kind of uh, itinerant speaking or I don't know. I don't want to put you on the spot, but I'm I'm curious. <laughs> well, those are questions that uh, that I've been asking myself. <laughs> yeah, we've and, and, uh, we've all been asking each other. So, no, it's not on the spot at all. The one thing I think that I I don't want to do is is coach, unless something dramatically changes. Uh, I've never had a desire to really coach, and I, I still don't. <laughs> yeah. But as far as everything else, I'm broadcasting um, is definitely a possibility. Um, I, I do feel like I will always be in some form of ministry, if not vocational, um, simply because, you know, as believers, we are ambassadors. And, and so I'm always going to, to make myself available to do that sort of ministry. Um, I don't know exactly what it is. Mm. I'm praying for clarity. And, yeah. And I, I would appreciate your prayer and I was listening yeah. as, far as, as far as that goes. And I do know that the season of football is, is, uh, is coming to an end. Yeah. You know, that's something that we've been prepared for, mm-hmm. for. It's always a hard thing to go through simply because we've been doing it for so long. Yeah, and, and that's got to be hard, too. Athletes have a, have a unique career in that, you know, your window closes. I mean, the thing you've been training for your whole life since you're a child kind of just closes on you at a time when most men are actually, you know. On the rise. On the rise. <laughs> if you think in. 40s or you know late 30s and early for you know 40s like and so that's got to be kind of a hard process for guys uh to think through that it definitely is it definitely is i mean you, you're right i just finished my 14th season and, and you're right for your whole life this is what you train for this is this is how your life has been scheduled your life has been scheduled around the off season um preparing for the season training camp off season but you know otas the workouts the practices Mm-hmm. Games. Yeah. That's how your life and your, life and your family, mm-hmm. you know, all of your life has been scheduled. Uh, around, yeah. Around and moving time. around. Exactly. And, yeah. Exactly. And so it is daunting to think about what it's going to be like after. But God has always been faithful. And there's going to be a time of mourning simply because you mourn your loss of something that, that you loved mm-hmm. and something that, um, you know, you, you, you wanted to do for so long. Um, but there's also a sense of excitement because. When God closes one door, he always yeah. opens another one. That's been our experience, mm-hmm. and I know he's going to do the same thing for us. Well, selfishly, and I think you would be great in ministry, and I'm sure people have told you that. You know, I think the next season of life could actually really be an incredibly fruitful season for you. And so uh, praying for you on your on your journey and, and all that. But thank you for joining me uh, for the podcast. Thanks for being here at Evangelicals for Life. and and for the dignified way that you uh, speak about your Christian faith and speak about some of these issues. Definitely, thank you, thank you. It's, it's an honor to be here. I, I I, thought I'd be playing. I was hoping we'd be playing yeah. football, <laughs> but as we talked about when God was one yeah. another yeah. opens. So, and I'm not gonna say, I'm not gonna say on the podcast how I was rooting for that to turn I, out, I, but I, I will I will just say that I'm glad you're here. How about that's that? Per, that's perfect. Yeah. <laughs> so thank you so much, man. I appreciate it. This year marks the 50th anniversary of Martin Luther King's tragic assassination. Like anybody, I would like to live a long life. Longevity has its place. But I'm not concerned about that now. I just want to do God's will. 
and he's allowed me to go up to the mountain and I've looked over and I've seen the promised land I may not get there with you on April 3rd and 4th, the Gospel Coalition and the ERLC are gathering a diverse group of Christian leaders in Memphis, Tennessee for MLK 50, Gospel Reflections from the Mountaintop. Key speakers are Russell Moore, Benjamin Watson, John Piper, Jackie Hill Perry, Rick Warren, Tripoli, Matt Chandler, and many others. We're gathering these leaders to discuss the ongoing racial tension, uh, both in the country, but more specifically in the church in the last several years. And we'll reflect on the life and the legacy of Martin Luther King Jr. You can get more information on mlk50conference.com. And if you use the coupon code WAYHOME, you can get a special discount. Thank you for listening to the Way Home Podcast. If you've enjoyed this conversation, please let us know by writing a review on iTunes. You can catch previous episodes on danieldarling.com. The Way Home is produced by Gary Lancaster and scheduling by Marie Delph. The Way Home is a production of the Ethics and Religious Liberty Commission of the Southern Baptist Convention.